fact, we think we need all these tips and tricks to get influenced, but all of us are influencing people all the time, every day, through all sorts of informal channels, through all sorts of ordinary conversations. And in fact, that tendency to underestimate our influence is what drives us to always feel like, oh, I need to know how to influence because we don't see the impact that we're constantly having on other people. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I am Jackie Koch, your host, and today we are digging into a topic that I find fascinating and one that I think is can be so impactful for you and your team. I'm joined by guest Vanessa Bonds. Vanessa is a professor of organizational behavior at Cornell University and the author of the book, You Have More Influence Than You Think. She holds a PhD in psychology from Columbia University and an AB from Brown University. Her research has been published in top academic journals in psychology, management, and law, and has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Atlantic, the Economist, and on NPR's Hidden Brain, among so many outlets. I mean, that is a huge, amazing list. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Business Insider, and so many more places. She's an expert on help-seeking social influence, compliance, consent, and why it's so hard to say no. And today we talk about influence, how you can determine, or basically we define what influence is. We talk about how you can assess whether or not you have influence and how much influence you're having, both as a leader and as somebody within a team. And we talk about how so many folks out there don't realize how much influence they actually have and how they're influencing people all day long, every day. So really excited for the show. And I believe you're going to walk away with some tips and tricks how to improve your influencing skills. So without further ado, let's welcome Vanessa to the show. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to the show. I'm so grateful that you took time out of your busy day and busy schedule to to chat with me. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have been so excited to dig into a top, this topic with you of influence. And I know you have really done a lot of work on studying it. You wrote a book about it. And selfishly, I'm so excited for a few reasons. One, Every single, so, you know, have you ever taken the Strengths Finder assessment? Do you know what that is? I know what it is, but I have not taken okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's like four categories of strengths that you can have and they it'll like bust out your top like 10 strengths and eight of my top strengths are in influencing others. And so what I found is that I'm naturally kind of good at it that I haven't put any time into developing the skill. And so I'm so excited to like dig in and get some like tips and tricks on, on and more information about it that I can become even better at it. So selfishly, very excited. And then also in my work with a lot of clients, I try to help coach them around if you're, if they're a leader, how they can use their influence to help 
you know, navigate change or implement things or help their team be more effective. And then I also coach employees about how they can use influence to help make their jobs easier and help guide their managers. And so I think there's such a good breadth of of topics that we can talk about. So really excited to dig in with you. And so for what I would love to start out with is just for listeners who don't know about you and the work that you've done, can you give them a little bit of an insider view into what you do and and, um, yeah, some of the work that you do? Yeah, sure. So I am a professor here at Cornell University. I'm an experimental social psychologist, and I've been studying influence for about 15 years now. And the way I study influence is pretty different from the typical way of looking at influence. So the typical way, as you said, is about like finding tips and tricks for, you know, getting more influence. Um, I actually look at our perceptions of influence and how they differ from the reality And what my research finds is that, in fact, we think we need all these tips and tricks to get influence, but all of us are influencing people all the time, every day, through all sorts of informal channels, through all sorts of ordinary conversations. Um, And in fact, that tendency to underestimate our influence is what drives us to always feel like, oh, I need to know how to influence because we don't see the way, the impact that we're constantly having on other people. And so my general way of studying this is because I'm an experimental social psychologist, I bring people into the lab, I have them make guesses about how much they could influence someone to do something or how much they did influence someone. And then we find out from that other person, you know, what they actually did or how much they were influenced. And we find again and again that people tend to underestimate the impact that they have on other people. Amazing. How did you get interested in this topic first, like first and foremost? Yeah. So I actually, when I was a first year graduate student at Columbia, uh, I was working on this study with a professor there named Frank Flynn. And we were looking at like traditional forms of influence. So we were trying to collect data and like, you know, if you ask someone for something one way versus another, are they more likely to say yes? And so I would have to go down to Penn Station to collect a sample of diverse adult participants every day. And so here I was, like a first-year graduate student, carrying this stack of paper surveys, because it was back in the day, um, down to Penn Station day after day. And I would have to go up to people and say, will you fill out my survey? And it was so traumatic and painful, (laughs) and I just hated it so much. Um, And so when the study was over... Frank and I were looking at the data and we realized that the study didn't work, like our prediction didn't pan out. And that is very typical for science, like most studies don't work, but I was just particularly devastated because I was like, this was such a horrible experience of collecting this data. And Frank was like looking at the actual data, right? Looking at the things people said to me because I had written that down and looking at how many people said yes to me because I had written that down. And he was like, you're describing this experience in your head that is so awful and traumatic. And like, it sounds like people were terrible, but I'm looking at the objective reality on this, you know, spreadsheet. And it looks like most people were actually saying yes. And most people were like saying nice things to you. And I had to sort of, you know, agree that this perception I had was not true to reality. And so we decided that that was actually the big sort of insight. And we started to run studies where we asked people for their perceptions and compared them to reality and found that it wasn't just me. This is something we do all the time. So interesting. I mean, you hear it said often that, um, you know, other people's perception is their reality. And that's such a great 
I mean, example of that for sure. So then how, how have you seen that show up? So like if, if you're listening to the show, a lot of the listeners to the show are like leaders of businesses and stuff. I think that's the easiest place to start, right? Like you think the boss has more influence. Um, I guess I'm curious, is that true? Maybe we start there. And yeah, I'm going to start there. Is that true? Does the boss or the leader in a of a team have more influence? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think part of the problem is that we tend to conflate things like power and authority with influence, and they're not the same thing, right? So a leader or a boss has power. Um, They might have authority over people. They have control over certain resources, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have more influence because influence could come from all sorts of different places. Um, So even people who don't have positions of power or authority can have influence through other means. So they can have what we call informational influence. So they may know what they're doing really well. And even if they don't have this you know, position of authority, people know them as sort of the go-to person for a certain topic. And because of that, what they say kind of means more, for example, in a, in a meeting than necessarily what like the boss says, right? The boss doesn't always have all the information. Many times, the people who are actually on the ground have the most information. Another form of influence is social influence or just influence through like liking and networking. And if there's if you've sort of accumulated this social capital where people just like you as a person and respect you, the things that you say, again, can have much more influence than if you're in a position of authority. Um, and so on the one hand, yes, you know, power comes with influence because you can coerce people and you can reward people. But interestingly, there's lots of other forms of influence. And on the flip side, one of the things that I talk about in my book is that people in positions of power also underestimate the influence that they have. Uh, in fact, they can do it even more so than other people because they they just have these kind of blinders to the role that their power and the, the influence their power kind of gives them. Yeah, that's such a good distinction. Um, and I do think there's a lot of boss leaders out there, especially if you're a smaller entrepreneur, you forget that no matter what, you still have, there's still a power d- dynamic, right? Like you're still controlling this person's paycheck. You're, you still have some level of power and that's not going to go away. Um, and, and how can you develop influencing skills um, or, I don't know, I guess like figure out your influence so that you can make things um, move in a, a more positive direction for sure. One of my uh, colleagues says just along those lines of, you know, you you don't want to sort of overstep when you have power, especially if you don't realize the influence that that brings. One of my colleagues uses this phrase that when you are in a position of power, your whisper sounds like a shout to people who are not in positions of power, that you can make like a suggestion and you can hope that people will push back on it and not realize that actually because of your position, they aren't so comfortable pushing back on that. Um, but they take that as like a, an order rather than a suggestion. I know. Such a nuance you have to pay attention to for sure. So if someone's listening to the show, how can they know if they, like, I guess, what? how would you define influence? Maybe we, we, we've kind of talked about power and some of the other things, but how would you define influence for somebody who's listening to the show and, and maybe doesn't really totally understand the difference? Yeah. And so this is a really important question because 
often when we think about influence, kind of the the typical understanding is a much more narrow, formal type of influence. So we think of these situations where we're trying, actively trying to convince someone to do something they absolutely don't want to do. And in fact, that is probably the least frequent form of influence. The way I define influence is anytime we change another person's behavior, attitude, or what feeling, like their emotion. Um, and we do that all the time without trying. Uh, so we have these ways of sort of unintentionally impacting people. We also influence people constantly without actually seeing it. So, you know, it could be that we ask someone to do something or we make a suggestion to someone and in the sort of immediate context when they're in front of us, we don't see a big change. But, you know, they work on it a week later or their mind changes and they keep thinking about what we said, you know, later on. Um, we can also change someone to keep doing what they're doing even more. So change doesn't have to be reversed. So, for example, you know, if someone's um, has a certain attitude and you sort of confirm that attitude, you could solidify it. It looks like nothing has changed. But in fact, you know, they think it even stronger now. So. There's all these subtle ways that we influence people and we change, you know, um, what they think, what they feel, what they do without necessarily realizing it. And I think that's really important in all positions, but especially for bosses, because that means these little like throwaway comments can actually have a big impact. You can give a whole spiel about why you want someone to do something or, you know, what you're asking for in your team, but then you make a little throwaway comment later and it undermines what you said. And that's the thing that people really listen to, right? And we're often uh, sort of coding things as influence when we're trying to influence people through that big spiel, but not coding it as influence when we make those little comments. But they're both influence and they're, they both have a huge impact. Totally. And that feels like so much pressure like because you're still just a person, right? Like when you're, when you're in a, a leadership role or a boss, like you're still just figuring it out. And that does feel like that's a lot of pressure, do you have any, like, any things that you can call out so that a listener could know how much influence they're having or, like, things to pay attention to or ways that they can just start to, like, I, I guess, yeah, like, show up or pay attention to know if the influence they're making is what they want or if they even have influence with their team at all, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I talk in the book about three things you can sort of do to start to become more aware of your influence. So there are three sort of activities that you can try out. So one is a way to see your influence more. And the idea here is that when we are interacting with other people, just by virtue of our biology, we are looking out through our own two eyes, seeing the scene around us, seeing what other people are doing that's impacting the situation, but not seeing ourselves in that scene. And so it's hard for us to recognize the ways in which we are contributing to a certain dynamic, right? Maybe a problematic dynamic, maybe a conversation that's going in a direction we don't want it to. Um, and so my first sort of activity is a visualization exercise you can do, which is to reflect on uh, you know, a meeting that you had maybe that was kind of contentious or where you're not sure you were having an impact and reflect on it from a third party perspective. So picture yourself as like a fly on the wall and see yourself interacting and remember the things you said and what people said back to you so that you are sort of recognizing the ways in which you were contributing to a dynamic. Um, there's some interesting research showing that 
couples who do this just three times a year. They just reflect on a previous argument uh, for just seven minutes. They write about it from a third-party perspective where they see themselves and their partner, not just all the things their partner was doing, right? That they um, maintain this relationship satisfaction. Uh, three times? That's it? Just three. 21 minutes in a year. <laughs> yeah. That feels like the <laughs> biggest writing couple exercise. hack. <laughs> I know. I know. It's great. It's by Eli Finkel, who wrote The All or Nothing Marriage. Um, so it's really great research. And I think it applies to all sorts of relationships. You know, if you can take that outside perspective and sort of, you know, be mindful and reflect on the things that you're doing. Um, so that's one. Another big one is something called getting perspective. And this is a way, you know, you can see the things you do, but that doesn't mean you really are aware of how they're impacting other people, how they're making them feel or, you know, think. And a lot of people, like this is the classic Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people thing. And it's like take perspective, get into people's heads. But we try to do that without ever getting out of our own heads, right? We just imagine how they're taking the things we say. And that comes with all sorts of biases, you know, how we want them to take the things we say, how we think that they're likely to. And so some researchers have shown that that doesn't actually make us better at understanding our influence or what other people are thinking or feeling, what actually works. And it's so simple, but it's asking people. It's called getting perspective. So instead of trying to take perspective, you actually get their perspective by asking them. And so the more you can sort of ask people for their feedback, make sure you're confirming, you know, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? If you want to give them sort of a, a way to do that anonymously, that can be helpful if they don't feel comfortable necessarily voicing things to your face. You know, some people feel that way. But basically getting outside of your own head to collect outside information. I have a question about that. So I feel like I've seen this happen a lot where leaders think that they're asking for feedback. And I know for certain that they're not getting the right, the true feedback that they, you know, and, and this happens with my role in an H as an HR person, I will have people on teams come and complain about something. And then I'm, you know, talking with the leader and it's clear that they think they're getting the feedback and they're not getting the right feedback. And do you think it's, possibly because they're asking too broad of questions. I mean, obviously it can be how they're showing up if they don't believe it's actually, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, but would you recommend asking more detailed questions or more general questions when trying to get feedback from other people? So one research technique we use a lot is the funnel approach where you start, you have a sense of some specific questions that you, you want to get to, but you don't want to guess things that if there's actually other stuff maybe that people want to bring up. So you start wide like a funnel at the top of the funnel, and then you you funnel down to the more detailed questions. So you can ask a nice broad question to start and see what direction it goes on, but then make sure that you actually get to these more detailed questions so that you can get a little bit more concrete. I mean, a, a big thing that a lot of leaders, especially new leaders do, right, is they don't give space for people to talk and give feedback. So I, I took on the role of being chair of my department recently, so a few months ago. And even knowing all that I know and doing the research I do, I still had this feeling, you know, I got in there, it was my first day of leading a meeting as chair. And my impulse is to prove why I'm there, right? To show why I'm the leader now. 
And to do that, like the first thing we want to do is talk and answer the questions, you know, instead of asking a question and having a silent room and wonder like, oh, what am I doing wrong? You know, I should have the answers. And there's so much pressure to kind of not allow for that empty space. So learning to sort of make space for people, sit with it, let them speak first is huge. Um, Another way is actually asking everyone to go around the room and talk. So a lot of times you'll get selective feedback, right? You get one person who's really comfortable voicing and you don't know what everybody else thinks. You assume maybe they agree with that person, but maybe they don't. So having a way where you ask everyone in the room to go around and, and say what they think is also helpful. Yeah. Good advice. And congrats to you. And that's got to be such a weird feeling to all of a sudden having to in- integrate. You've probably integrated a lot of what you, you've you learned and, and teach and write about, but it's when you get yourself into a new situation, it's got to feel a little weird to all of a sudden be like, oh, I got to take my own advice now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a totally different skill. It's funny. Uh, teaching these concepts and then implementing them is just a completely different skill. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's just like, I feel like for me, I, I learn about it, right? So I'll, 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 I'll read your book. I'll, I'll, I'll learn it. But then trying to integrate it is like where the true learning happens, where I feel like that's got to be the same as the, on your side from teaching it for sure. Was there a third <laughs> thing that you have in your book? There is a third. Yeah. So it's ways to see your influence. So that's the visualization. Uh, ways to get better at experiencing it or feeling it. So that's the asking and getting perspective. And then the third one is experiencing it. So it's actually testing it out. Um, And so that's actually trying out some techniques. So for some people, it'll be trying little techniques like asking for things. Because one of the things I talk about quite a bit is that we hesitate to ask for things because we don't realize that people actually, in many cases, are primed to say yes, not no. We assume that they're primed to say no. Um, And so it could be testing out your influence by asking for things. It could be testing out some of these techniques we were just talking about, but actually trying to experience it and see those changes and recognize them and reflect on them. Such a great way to break something that seems so like high level or broad into actually steps that you can do and and test into it for sure. Um, I'm curious. So, you know, as somebody who, let me give you a, I'm going to try to explain a situation that's happening with, with also keeping some confidence, confidence, um, for, for some folks. So some of my clients, um, again, because I'm in HR, I, I do get a lot of times where a, somebody on a team will come to me and they're struggling or lots of team members are struggling with managing their boss. And, I find I take it as my job to help them figure out how to do it themselves versus solve their problem for them. And so often I'm surprised how people are just they don't realize to your point, they don't realize how much influence that they have or they try one tactic and they get shot down or it doesn't go the way they want so then they just kind of like shut down and stop trying to have an intentional impact on something, right? So what advice, I guess, any advice that you have for somebody listening who who maybe doesn't feel like they are getting the results that they want? Like, how, how do we help them not shut down and actually like help lift them up to coach them that to help them see that they have more influence, I guess, is the question. A long-winded way of getting there. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, I mean, there is research showing that it, people tend to underestimate their upward influence. So that's like the the word we tend to use in academia for that kind of influence when you're influencing up the chain. Um, so we tend to think that, oh, yeah, people below me want my advice and, you know, I can actually get them to do things. But the people above me, you know, they're not going to be interested in hearing what I have to say. And that's not true. So people really anyone who's in a position of leadership like knows that they actually really want to hear advice from down below right we're all just trying to do our best and we know that that advice and good ideas can come from anywhere um so that's number one is just knowing that actually the people who are you know above you in the chain like actually do want to hear what you have to say um and then the other thing is i'd say understanding the goals of that person? Like what are the priorities that person has? And that can also involve asking questions like developing a genuine curiosity about this person. You know, what makes them tick? Like what what do they have to tell their bosses? What are they really worried about? And if you can sort of tag along whatever it is that you want to bring to them uh, with those priorities and show how what you're suggesting actually helps them meet their priorities, that's when people's ears were, will often sort of perk up, right? Yeah, for sure. It's almost, it, it goes back, a lot of times it goes just back to empathy and like being curious. I think those are two such critical skills that you just brought up for sure. Is there anything that you have learned in your research that I mean, I know the answer is going to be yes, but are there additional things that you've learned in your research that are counterintuitive to what we think influences? I know, you know, you started out the show mentioning some, but is there anything else that people misunderstand about influence? I think a big one, and it's it's related to some things we've talked about, but a big one is definitely that other people are primed to sort of fight against our influence, that people don't want to hear what we have to say, that they're going to argue against us, that if we ask for something that they are primed to say no. When in fact, you know, there's just so much research in social psychology showing that people actually want to connect with other people. Like at the end of the day, we're all humans who want to be liked and want to be appreciated and want to be respected. And so to kind of be liked and make those connections, you know, we listen to other people and we want to agree with them. We don't want to disagree with them. We won't, don't want to start conflict and, and arguments. And so I think we often come at interactions kind of primed for an argument when we would come at them at a in a much better way if we kind of assumed the other person was open to hearing what we had to say. So if we assume that, first of all, that's usually true in many cases. And then second of all, we would approach the interaction in a way that's less sort of argumentative, um, is the sort of right level of being direct, right? Not just kind of like being too mousy and indirect and not actually talking about what needs to be talked about, but not being so assertive because you think you're you're going to push back against this, you know, this like counter argument. So you kind of nail the tone of talking to someone. If you go in just assuming this person wants to hear what I have to say, right? They actually want to agree with me. So how am I going to talk about it now? Yeah, that is such good advice. Assume positive intent. And it's so refreshing to to hear that the studies are showing that people, especially in today's day and age, to know that people want to like 
agree more than than they don't is is so refreshing to hear that that's actually true because I want to believe it and so to know that studies are showing it's true is just uh, so refreshing and a big I'll add that a big part of that is in face-to-face interactions right interactions where you actually feel like you know it's a real human I'm talking to once we start getting into like anonymous social media that's where things become a bit more problematic and I think we think that that kind of you know, infiltrates into face-to-face interactions, but it doesn't, right? As soon as you're actually talking to someone face-to-face, it's it's very different. Well, not only social media, now you have me thinking about how everyone's using IMing tools and emails and this virtual workplace that we're in. Are you doing any research on any of that right now? I'm so curious. Yeah, we we have research on that. And I will say I it has convinced me that email is just the worst in in every way. Um, so I, email is just, it's, it's a place where so many misunderstandings can happen, right? Because you don't have the nonverbals, you don't have the implicit trust of someone who's talking to you face to face. Um, it also comes with all sorts of work-life balance issues. And we've worked on something we call the email urgency bias, this tendency to feel like we have to respond right away to every email. And the other person is going to be really annoyed if we don't respond right away. But the other person often like has a much longer sense of like when they expect you to respond. Like it's not most things are not urgent. Um, And so and one of the things we've looked at is the difference in persuading people through different media. So like over email, over uh, like Zoom or video calls, over the phone, face to face. Uh, And one of the interesting sort of tidbits that have come out of that is that face to face is hands down the best if you're going to ask someone for something. Uh, Video calls and phone calls are next best, and they're not that different from one another. They kind of humanize you. Um, And then email is just the absolute worst. So (laughs) email is just way too easy to ignore and not read and say no to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is good advice for anyone listening to the show. Um, The majority, I would, well, I guess I would I was going to say the majority of your interaction should be face-to-face or on a phone call or or whatever, but I don't actually know that's true. I think you have to just intentionally choose it probably. Um, and now there's just so many platforms that you can get work done without having to email back and forth that you can actually collaborate on things together that make the need for email less and less. Although I would say people are unwilling to try some of those tools, but that is really interesting findings. What about... I would imagine that like a an instant message, say Slack or or Google Teams is almost the same as an email. Have you seen that at all? Yeah, so the way we break it down is by how immediate the interaction is. So, you know, are we basically communicating in real time and then the nonverbals that are added to it? So, is it purely text or are you know, do you hear someone's voice that humanizes them? Do you see their face and you get some additional nonverbal information? And so I am and Slack and things like that are interesting because that you don't get any of the nonverbals, right? But it is more more of a real-time interaction. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's it's kind of like an in-between. Yeah. And especially if you can use the concept or like you can use um, the voice note- noting, I would imagine, um, helps it a little bit too. Interesting. Oh my gosh. We're living in such a wild time. It's going to be so... In- you Your work has got to be so interesting right now. Uh, I mean, all the time, but I find it, it's just... The, the, the way that we're all working together and living life, 
I feel like is changing so much right now that it's such an interesting time to be doing your work. So thank you for being one that is because I, I I'm learning so much from it and I find it just fascinating. So for what it's worth, I just it's well, it's gotta you. be a wild time. Yeah, it was funny when we first started the idea of like video calls was, you know, still like, oh, people use them sometimes every once in a while. And then it just everything blew up. And yeah, now it definitely seems much more relevant. Is it making it easier or harder to do research? Uh, I think it's just raising new questions. Like whatever we found in the beginning, is it changing as we get used to this this sort of way of interacting? Like, can we still draw the same conclusions from two years ago? So it just opens up new questions. It's only been two years. That's wild. That's crazy. Feels like it, it feels like forever at this point. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I literally just snagged a copy of your book. It should be here tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm so excited to dive into it. I'm, I know that listeners, you should run out and grab this book for sure. But is there any other way that listeners can stay up to date with some of the work that you're doing? What would you say is some of the best ways for them to just follow the work that you're doing and get to know you a little bit more in your work? Yeah. So you could definitely connect with me on Twitter. That's where I am most of the time at Prof Bonds. I'm also on Instagram with the same handle uh, and LinkedIn. And my website is vanessabonds.com. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, listeners, go snag a copy of your book and then shoot us a message after you try out some of those techniques to, to determining how much influence you have. I'm so interested to hear how it goes. So thanks for tuning in. And Vanessa, thanks so much for coming onto the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Speaking of the power of people, I'd be honored to read your written review of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard and have suggestions on how to make this show more impactful, please show your support by taking a few minutes to let me know what you think. See you next time.